hold of the big picture that's taking place. But I do want to ask you, first of all, do you seek God's will or do you seek your own? Do you try to bend God's will to yours or is your will being bent to God's will? And it's very important because so very often it becomes a habit to us that we try to bend God's will to ours. We want him to bless what we want. We are not bent to God's will and we don't take what he says so seriously. And uh, just as one example of that, I would say James and John, who were asking Jesus who was going to be at his right and left. They wanted the places of honour. They wanted to be the most important ones in the kingdom of God. They wanted the glory. They were from a rich family and they needed to learn not to seek their own glory, but to serve. It was a completely different way of approaching life and a different way of living that we're used to. So are you seeking God's will, or are you just seeking God to bless your will? So very often we're practiced at getting it the other way round. The cross cries out, die to your own will. You have no right to your own will anymore. Your will is twisted. It's all part of fallen nature. What you want to do, you need to sacrifice that. Jesus served. He came to serve. Not to be served. Do you want power? Do you look at the internet and find motivational talks that are promising you power? Or do you want service? Because it's not power that God offers, it's service. Do you want fame? Or do you want Jesus to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? What's your mindset? The cross calls you to suffering, not to comfort. Are you seeking just a comfortable life? Well, the cross doesn't give that to you. It doesn't offer that to you. It doesn't hold that before you. It doesn't promise that to you. It doesn't go anywhere near it. But God does call you to an adventure, an adventure with him. He calls you to real and genuine and proper and true life. That is not boring. It is anything but... If I can put it slightly different. God doesn't want you dancing. Yeah, I wish I could dance like an African. I can't dance. I know some people, you just move your shoulders once or twice, and I think that's a dancing African. I, you know, I, I'm amazed by it. I'm very jealous about, my, about you able to do it. I heard someone this week that I was talking to said the reason he didn't join in Africa the choir was because he didn't like to dance. He couldn't dance. He could sing, but he couldn't dance, and the choir danced, and so he didn't feel he could be part of the choir. But it's not a dancing down to, to sow a seed and put the money in the box and say, to come and sow, so that you get something bigger in return. It's not sowing a seed to get a blessing. Come and bless the man of God. Come and sow. Come and put... However many naira it is in the collection, so that much. No. 
This church will not ask you to dance down to the front and sow a seed. It wants you to sow your life. Your life, not your money. God is in, he's bothered about something far bigger than sowing a seed. We are bothered about something far bigger than sowing a seed. We are looking at real eternal blessings for you and your lives. So, why do you come to church? What is your motivation? How do you approach life? What are your aims? How does the church fit into your aims? What are you doing here? Is the church a place for you to come and give tithes so that you can get some temporal blessing so that God might give you success in your exams or might give you a comfortable life or give you something like that? Well, you will get some temporal blessings from the church. It will teach you good things. It will teach you how to live holy lives. There will be blessings on the back of that to live well but it will never encourage you to seek a comfort and a financial blessing and a position in society have you ever stopped to think what you're really doing here it might be that you've come from a tradition of church going. You've done it since you were born. You were dedicated. You were taken to church every Sunday. You grew up in church. You were sent away to boarding school that was a Christian boarding school. Then you always, every not just every week, went to church. Church was part of your very being, your very culture. It was something that you did, but why are you going there? And that's the problem when you come to Cyprus. All of a sudden you stop and you have to say, really, why am I going there? What is the reason? I haven't got the family around me expecting me to go anymore. I have to know. It's got to be big enough for me. It's got to be from me. Have you ever stopped to think? Imagine what's taking place now in this church. And I want to lead you to think about the church in Antioch. First of all, we read about that. There was a church that was started in Antioch. I want you to imagine it. Uh, 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 this uh, uh, issue where uh, uh, we start to be introduced to Paul and this church. And we very often read the scriptures and we think about them as being Paul doing this and Paul doing that, especially Acts of the Apostles, but it's not. It's the church doing something. It's the church that was central Apart from the Jerusalem church, it could well have been the most important church in the area. We read that, the, that what had taken place was Stephen had been martyred. And you remember that Paul, part of the Jewish church there, not church, part of the Jewish uh, nation, a theologian really, was going around persecuting Christians. And that was partly to do with the fact that these Jews and, and, the, uh, uh, and the Jewish culture was losing people to the church. In fact, it's a strange thing that the Jewish people actually did in their theology have uh, this idea not of uh, 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 just a singular God. They did have uh, um, a complex God within their thinking 
because of the effect of the Christians that were speaking and saying Christ is God, the Holy Spirit is God and the Father is God. Because of that they came hard against it and said no we don't believe that. But before that they accepted almost a plurality within the Godhead. They had that within their culture. But all of a sudden they came against it. And here was Paul that they couldn't stand losing power. And the power was that there, there were people that were Jews that were coming to Christ and saying, yes, this is the Messiah. This is part of it. This is part of who we are. This is part of our nation. And all of a sudden they couldn't see what was taking place and they were afraid about, about it, afraid of losing their own culture. And so they oppressed the church. They oppressed the Christians. And this is what Paul was doing. He was oppressing them. And he was stood there whilst they stoned Stephen. He was... Almost uh, 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 the one that was instigating the stoning. He was the one that was looking after the coats of the ones that were stolen. He was, he was involved in the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. He had heard Stephen preach that sermon. He had seen Stephen dying for what he believed. He was involved there. Stephen wasn't, hadn't sown a seed to get a blessing. Stephen died because he knew that he had eternal life. And he was so secure in that, that he was willing to stand. And because of that, Paul heard what he was preaching, and he saw the way in which he was dying, and still he set off to persecute. And Jesus met with him, and brought him to faith. And then, as far as we know, he went off to Damascus after a certain period of time, he stayed there, rethought, and came to the understanding that by grace we are saved, not because, not by works. And not only that, it was for the Jews and for the Gentiles, and this was God's working of his own plan to bless the world from the people of Israel to be a blessing outside to reach others with the gospel and now through the church to reach the whole of the world and bring them under the authority of Jesus Christ to know that they are saved and would have eternity secure with him and yet Paul had then gone back home apparently to Tarsus and there was persecution that took place after the killing of Stephen is what he said there was a persecution that arose and some went to, to, to different places Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch and in Antioch we know that there was a church started and it was a big church and it was a powerful church probably relative to the church in Jerusalem it was definitely financially more powerful numerically we don't know we don't know fully about leaders we've got one or two names there about people that were involved in that church, but we don't know an awful lot about them except that here was a church. And it was a church that Barnabas was sent to from Jerusalem. Again, listen, it was a church. It was a people of God that, 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 uh, 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 that was faithfully preaching the Lord Jesus, the Word of God. We read those two aspects of what was taking place it was the word of God and it was Jesus who was being preached and the church then then what took place was uh, uh, Barnabas had gone to this church in Antioch remember this is Hattai in Antioch there are two Antiochs have you got that two Antiochs don't get confused they went to this church in Antioch that's called Hattai now in Turkey okay it's at the bottom of Turkey okay at the corner there it joins on to, to Syria as it were, it's down there and this group of believers were worshipping and exalting and glorifying in Jesus being a testimony to Jesus 
and they had money, and Barnabas had gone and collected, had been sent to, to, to Antioch, and then he went, so the church in Jerusalem and Antioch, the Jerusalem church was the key church where Peter was, remember, had gone to Tarsus, picked up Paul, brought him back to the Antioch Hattai church, and there they stayed with them, teaching. They were part of the church. They weren't over the church. They weren't above the church. They were part of the fellowship of the church of people there in Antioch. The normal working of God is through the church and that's where they were. And then at one time they sent money to the church of Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem, the believers in Jerusalem were poor. There was some reason economically why they were were poor. I don't know what that was. But they were poor. And they needed help, maybe because of the persecution, maybe they couldn't work. Maybe it was just that they were so oppressed by the Romans that their economy couldn't grow. But in Antioch, in Hattai, the economy wasn't so oppressed. There was a freedom to the economy. It was probably a good trading port. And the believers there had money, so much so that they could freely give to bless the church in Jerusalem. So they were people who gave, okay? They were willing and, and this is a picture. They were so tied to the work of God and the kingdom of God that they very quickly learned that giving wasn't something that they did to get a blessing. It was something that was natural to their lives as believers because they were not looking for their life here on this earth. They were looking like Abraham was for, for, for a kingdom whose architect, whose builder, whose maker was God, and that's what they were tied to, and that's what they realised was the only thing that was going to bless this world. And it was being part of the gospel, and being part of the work of the gospel. They were sold into it 100%. They weren't sort of sold into it for themselves to get some blessing. They were sold into the work of it, no matter what it cost, and how it was going to affect them, and how it was going to influence them, and that was what they were learning. They were committed, and that's partly why the actual gospel went out with great power, because these people were not just uh, sticking a little bit of Christianity on the side of their lives. They were totally immersed in it. The gospel was their life. The church was their life, because it was so tied to it being exactly the same thing. These believers saw that heaven was their home, that Christ was their identity, that the world and their career and their comforts and their education and the place to live were only secondary, if that. It was so much in their hearts after suffering those persecutions and they knew Christ so very well that the only thing that they wanted was that other people might know this same Christ and they also wanted nothing but to know Christ and him crucified as Paul later preached. They were understanding these things as part of their life. So are you here wanting to know Christ and him crucified? Or are you here just wanting to have some little blessing on the edge of your life and yet you'll find that in the end you've lived an empty life? And you're students, many of you, and God's not offering you an empty life, he's offering you a full life, but not in the picture that you've got in your mind, in the picture that Christ has got in his mind for you, that God's got in his mind for you, and that is interpreted and given through his people, through the church, through the family of God. Their aim was the work of the gospel and building the church. That's what they wanted, that's what they were involved with, that's what they bought into. A blessing 
And a blessed life was to bless and to serve and to give completely. And they saw something else. That the mentality was not to go to church to get a blessing or some teaching about holiness that might help them not to fall into something bad. Though that would be there, and though that is good in itself, if that's what's taking place to you, not just a blessing on your life to be successful, to find some place of comfort when compared to what everybody else around you has, not at all, not even near, not in the ballpark, not in their thinking. The church was seen very clearly as the body of their Lord Jesus Christ. He's the body of Christ. The church was really what the world saw as Christ. They were living Christ. Paul saw the church was the body of Christ. I don't understand something, you know, some, I used to read something like Philippians, okay? Let's just go to that first little bit of Philippians. Okay, the first chapter, the first few verses, if you've got a Bible on your device or whatever, you can turn to a bit. If not, it doesn't really matter. Right, he says this from verse chapter 1, Philippians, verse 3, okay? Just, just think about it. You don't need to look for it. Um, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's what was taking place with the believers, right? Are you there? Are you partnering in the gospel? Is that part of your lives? That's what he's thanking for. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. There was a deeper sense in which they were really committed to what they saw completely right through the persecutions. And he'll bring it to pass. It's right for me, look, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart... For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, in the defense and confirmation of your gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with affection of Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer that your love abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Can you see the depth, the way in which he talks about, I yearn for you, the affection that I have for you. His heartfelt love for them, and I think, so very often I look and I think, I, I can't speak like that. You know, my heartfelt love for the church. I really love those people. I really want to be with them. And I'm thinking, I'm missing something here. Paul quite clearly shows he has a deep emotional attachment to these people. He maybe didn't know them very well personally, but he had a deep emotional attachment. And why did he have a deep emotional attachment to them? Well, I think it's because he had a deep and emotional attachment to Jesus Christ. And he saw the church as the body of Christ. He saw it as the embodiment of Christ. He saw it as Christ. And so he loved it with a deep love. No matter how bad it sometimes was, he loved it. And he saw Christ's love for him, no matter how bad he was. And he saw that Christ loved his own body, the church. And he also loved the body of Christ, the church. How much do you love the church? How much do you love 
really love? Christ. The body of Christ. What guides you in your life? What are those influences that help you to make your decisions about what you're doing in the future and what's taking place? Where is the church and the body of Christ and Christ in this? You might just go along and say a little prayer and hope that God will bless this. You know, you have, a, have an aim. You apply for some universities outside or you apply for this and then you say, God, please bless my ed- application. Please bless my business uh, 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 or something like that. And he said, no, your business is sacrificed to Christ. It might be that God's given you a business to make money with, but not for yourself. It's for the extension of the kingdom of God. It's all there. Get an education. Well, get a good education. Great. Your life is there to bless Others and it's there for the extension of the kingdom of God. Whatever position God raises you up to or does not, it doesn't really matter. Are your ambitions, do they contain building the church of God? So therefore, in, 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 in chapter 13, we have Paul and Bar- Saul and Barnabas there in this church in Antioch. Okay, You've got the church in Antioch there. And I'm reading from verse 1 to 3 in chapter 13 of Acts. Now there were in the church of Antioch, this is Hattai Antioch, remember, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, straight away we can say that the church's desire was that Jesus Christ would be made known in other places. The desire of the church here is that Jesus Christ is made known, both to the African students coming and to the people that are living on this island, whatever nationality they are. Whatever nationality, it doesn't matter. Whether it's English, whether it's Turkish, whether it's Turkish Cypriots, whether it's African, whether it's Cameroonian, or whatever it is. Even Americans. Now, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) But, that's what the church was doing. And what they did, they did something strange. They didn't say, Paul and Barnabas have just got the you know, they've just got a bit of excitement amongst them. They've just, you know, they're young people and they've got some excitement and they want to go charging off around the countryside. It wasn't like that at all. The church were worshipping. That's what the church does. It worships. The church worships. It's a strange and an unusual thing, isn't it? Because when we think about the church worshipping, look at Buddhism. Do you see them worshipping? Do you see them singing? Do you see them joyful? Do you see them? We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're confident where we're going. We know what's taken place. We are happy with what God's done for us. Do you see the Buddhists doing that? Well, the Americans call them Buddhists, but it doesn't really matter. Um, Or do you see the Muslims doing that? Do you see them joyful? 
free from their sin, secure in Jesus, and overwhelmed by the love of God. Do you see that taking place? The church from the very start has always been one that worships and rejoices and sings and is overwhelmed with joy about what our Saviour has done and what he is still doing and the security that we have in him alone. That the world itself doesn't press us and and overbear us because we know that the victory is won and so we sing for joy. You don't see it anywhere else. We have that right from within and they were doing that they were worshipping and they heard from God to send Paul and Barnabas to evangelise that's what they were doing they prayed and they were fasting they had a decision to make and they took it seriously and the church didn't say which one of you is a great church leader which one of you owns this church whose church is this is it pastor such and such is or pastor this person or whatever no they said this church is Christ's church We are the body of Christ and so whenever we make a decision or choose a way or do something, we have a number of things. We know his word, we know what he says, we read the way in which he teaches us and the way in which he directs us. And then also, we turn to him and we pray. And as they were praying and as they were fasting, God said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And so they did and they sent them off to speak about Jesus. They sent them off. The church in Hattai, the church in Antioch, the church. Saul and Barnabas were under the authority of the church. Not the authority of certain individuals in the church, but they saw the church as being under the authority of Jesus Christ through his word and his spirit. And that's where they would confidently and calmly stay. So, be sure in your decisions you are going to be part of a church that looks at the inspired word of God and looks at Christ for their leading through the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus himself who's speaking through his word. And he uses believers in that great mystery fallen sinful believers saved and brought to trust in him and he uses them broken peoples whose tongues have been cursing him he makes holy and uses them to speak about his salvation broken lives and thieving hearts he changes and uses them and he makes them beautiful in his church and the body of his people are beautiful in his sight And they're a family of God, the same family that is uh, 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 in heaven. It's heaven here until that day when Jesus Christ comes again. Do you understand this? Do you understand something of the importance of the church? Are you so committed to the importance of the church? Is the church that important to you? So Paul and Barnabas set off. And they come down to Cyprus. Well, that was a happy time for Barnabas. Barnabas' family was was from Cyprus. Uh, We know that he sold a field and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a generous person. But Barnabas had come back home. He'd come and see his mum and his dad and his sisters and his brothers. And he'd he'd get some helim and maybe some molia and eat it and have had a good time. He was back in Cyprus. 
he might have said, Napan Gardeshim to these people. No, he didn't. They weren't Cypriots. They were Turkish then, okay. But, uh, that's, okay. but he'd come back past his family together with, uh, and John Mark was with them. And they went across the island preaching and teaching about Jesus because that was what was of lasting importance to further the work. They proclaimed the word of God, first of all, to the Jews in the synagogues. Proclaim, preach, declare, make known. That was what was in their hearts, to proclaim, to preach, to make known, to herald, to shout out. There's hope. Don't be hopeless. To shout out, look at Christ who saves you. Who frees you, who takes your sin, who takes its load off you, who frees you so that you're not trapped in the, 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 the immorality that is destroying you. Come to the freedom of Christ. He frees your marriages. He frees your relationship. He frees you to be holy. Shout out that Christ has died and is risen and you can have new life in Him. Proclaim it, not their own ideas. Not their own philosophies. This which was ridiculous in the eyes of the Jews and the Greeks. It was foolishness. We'll preach foolishness because we'll preach the truth and it's Jesus Christ. And you might feel that people look down on you and say you're foolish. So what? We'll be a fool fool with Jesus for eternity. It's worth it. He proclaimed the word of God and they went teaching the Lord. Not Jewish traditions, but Jesus' words. And then after Cyprus, they went off. Uh, and, and I'm jumping down to uh, 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 13 verse 12. Uh, 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 and we ca- he came to Perga. John Paul left. And then he came. So they, they come from Cyprus and they set off north into Turkey, okay? Follow the North Star, you'll get there. They went into Turkey. And eventually... Uh, they, they came to another Antioch, okay? This is called Presidian Antioch. It's a Sparta in Turkey now, and they went up there. And uh, we get Paul's first recorded sermon, in which we read a part of it. Uh, uh, and within that, he dealt with the Jews, if you look at it in verse 13, from verse uh, uh, 13. That, that he says they left from Paphos and came to Perge in Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. They went from Perge and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Pretty much a little bit central Turkey. And on the Sabbath day they went down to the synagogue, sat down and after reading from the law, the message for them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement, bring it to us. And Paul started and this is the first recorded sermon of Paul. There. In Pisidian Antioch, men of Israel, you fear God, listen to the God of people of Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And he took them through their own history. He said, this is what you're hoping for. You're the people of God. You think you're the people of God. You've got your Jewish traditions. You've got your hold on them. You've got everything like that. And he went through uh, 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 how they'd been brought out. Of the, the, uh, out of Israel, out of the bondage and be made into a people. And then he talked about Samuel and how they made a king, King David. And he talked about what David had done. Again, the king of the household of God. Again, God's people. They were part of God's people and he was saying that's what's taking place. 
But then, he said, in verse 23, look, of this man's offspring, God hath brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. So he's taking the Old Testament and saying the prophets have promised it. You can trust it. No other so-called religion has prophets that speak and the truth that come on the back of that which is spoken. Because they do not have God, who is the God of the past, the present and the future. The God who sees the future, who has the future in his hands. They didn't know him. And so they couldn't. There's no proof outside anywhere else. But here we have it quite clearly. And he says to them, this is what's taken place. Look, they spoke about Jesus. Uh, of this man's offspring, God had brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. God keeps his promises. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not, he no. But behold, after me one's coming. So they were expecting one. They're expecting the saviour. They're expecting the Messiah. But after me... The sandals I'm not worthy to untie, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us have been given the message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem, their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out that which was written on him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. He was written before that was what was going to take place, he says. And it took place. They couldn't stop it. It was happening and it happened. They killed the Saviour. And, but God, but God did what? He raised him from the dead. Death couldn't hold the sinless one. Jesus, the man, had never sinned, so death had no hold on him. He could not hold him. He defeated death because he was sinless and with it he defeated all our sins. Maybe you're sat here and you're thinking to yourself, you don't know my sins. Oh, you don't know them. You don't know what my thoughts are. You don't know what I've been trolling through on the internet. You don't know what I've been thinking about. You don't know the lies that I've told. You don't know the things that I've stolen. You don't know what I've done. God cannot forgive you me. He can because it's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. And Jesus died. And Jesus rose. And so you too can put all your sins on him. And you too can rise with Jesus to newness of life. Are you there? Have you risen to newness of life? Can you say that Jesus is my saviour? Do you know him as your saviour? One of the ways in which you really know is the way in which you behave within his body. And that's what he was preaching. And he preached to these Jews in that way. He recorded them. He told them about the saviour, of the sinless saviour. And Jews believed. And Gentiles believed. Hellenists believed. All were starting to believe. Many were believing. But some were angry and jealous, just as there always will be when they lose their power. And persecution started just the same way that they persecuted Jesus, did the 
religious leaders and the Pharisees because they were losing power. It was from within their culture that they were losing people. It wasn't an outside message that had come in. It was from within it. That's why it was so painful to them. And they persecuted Paul and Barnabas. And that's what takes place. There's a persecution that goes along with the church. It always has. It always will do. Come along and say, no, I don't want to be part of them. It's not comfortable. It's not positive enough. It carries with it a certain discomfort. So let me go to a church that doesn't have any discomfort. Well, go to it. That's not the church of the Bible. There's a discomfort with what takes place because they're really making known Jesus. They're really making known the Saviour. And it was uncomfortable. And then he came to Iconium in Konya. I'm jumping over a great big part now. I'm coming to, to chapter 14. Iconium. You, Konya is mentioned after Iconium. You've got Icon. You've got the pictures that are icons. You know them. They were, they were false gods, really. And Icon was a sort of a false god. And now it's called Konya, but it was Iconium. And that was a place that was full of false gods. And they came there. And uh, 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 they preached and some listened. And opposition came to them. Some just looking at chapter four of verse chapter fourteen verse four, but some people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When the attempt was made, both Gentiles and Jews, with their rulers, to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe. Okay, so they had to go because persecution came about when they were in Iconium. Again, they were preaching the gospel there in Iconium, and then they went off, as it said there, to Lystra. So they went to the next place. Again, and, and Jews from Pisidian Antioch, okay, not, not Hatai Antioch, Pisidian Antioch came and stirred up trouble. They wanted to stop them. And then we get this strange thing happening. At the end of it, at the end of their journey, you see, they came to the end of their journey, uh, uh, And you'd think that when they came to the end of their journey, at the end of Lystra, where they were stoned, and uh, uh, I will read from 14.23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed to them, Lord, in who they believed. You see, what took place was this, that that Paul and Barnabas could have easily gone to Hatai Antioch. It was near. they'd, They'd gone up into Turkey, to Pisidian Antioch, then they turned towards the Hatai Antioch, planting churches. But before they got back to Hatai Antioch, they suddenly turned round. They could have just kept going. It was near. Let me go back to my home church. I want to be back into my home church. This Hatai Antioch church, this big church, the church that had sent us, the church that was praying for us, the church that was blessing us. We'll go back there. We've had enough. We've been stoned. We've been badly treated. We're worn out. We're tired out. We're fed up. We really are. That's the way I would have said it. And they turned back. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting and committed them to the Lord whom they believed. So all of a sudden they turned back and they went again, telling, putting, uh, praying and fasting again, God bless this, we want God's mind on this, we want the mind of Christ on this. Set, set in place pastors and, uh, and, and, and elders and they fasted and they prayed and they went back encouraging every church. Okay, encouraging setting forward elders and authorities within the churches. They were looking after them. This was the body of Christ. It was in their hearts. They were going to bless it. And then they go back. 
eventually. When they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, I'm reading from verse 24, and when they had broke, spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commend, commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. So God commended them, they'd done it, they'd returned. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, what did they do? They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and there remained no little time with them. So they didn't come back and say, look what we've done. Aren't we great? We've really done something wonderful. We've been the successful pastors. No. They told them all that God had done. It was God who was glorified. It was God who was doing it. It was God through his church that was blessing. And they wanted to recall to the people with joyfulness what had taken place. How God had dealt with them. Now, now with Emmanuel, we've got this situation taking place. How God has dealt with him whilst in Cyprus. But God is going to keep dealing with him. He's going to bless the church wherever he goes. He will, and God will bless him and bless the church with him because that's what God does to the church and through the church. That's what he does. Now, many of you have choices for your future. How do you make the choice? May a big part of your choice be with the church in mind, with the gospel in mind, not just with your comforts and your future and how do you stop getting back to some difficult situation. Don't live a comfortable, empty life. And you can't guarantee that it'll be comfortable because if you're with Christ, and he won't allow you to be comfortable for too long. Be sure of that. Jonah, whilst running away from God, didn't get a very comfortable time of it. And you might not if you're running away from him. Where does God really want you? What church does he want you to be blessing? Where does he really want you? Does he want you to run away from hardships? Or does he want you to run into the hardships? With the gospel? With his church? What's your involvement with the kingdom of God? Forwarding the work of Christ, the body of Christ. Who are you going to bless? Where are you going to bless? Is it going to be twisting God's will to yours? It never will work. You can't do it. You can try. Get a vision for the church and yourself with it. Amen.